Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 93. So then my friends, hello there, and we're here with another episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon, and this is the first one since the 2nd of April that is the standard format. So I appreciate you guys listening to all of the other episodes, and obviously last week was my Fallen Star review, before that was the bonus episode I think I released, which came from mine and Megan's Patreon, so make sure you go over to patreon.com slash genuine chits chat, you get lots of additional bonus content and things, early access to stuff, there's a huge amount of exclusive content on there primarily just audio stuff i've done a lot of star wars book reviews on there that are not released anywhere else there's some legends books that i'm getting through there's some canon books that i haven't released anywhere else as well as me and megan doing movie reviews tv reviews live show reviews as well so we saw lay Miz and book of mormon and things like that more to come as well so if you want to support the show for as little as one pound a month and get hours and hours of additional audio content you get a nice little link for that you can pop into a podcast app of your choice then please consider checking that out a link is in the description but we are back with another episode that is just following the standard format so i'm tackling a batch of comics this time so this is going to be the third and final volume of the high republic adventures comics which are published by idw which means you can't get them on marvel unlimited which is the place i tell the majority of you listeners to find some of these star wars comics so this episode or buying them yourself are probably the main ways to find out what actually happens in these comics Now, before I get into the comics themselves, here's some background information. So this is the third volume of the High Republic Adventures comics. If you've not checked out these comics before, you should. They're really, really good, especially the artwork is incredible. But if you just want to listen to me talk about them and go through the general plots and details, as I do in all these comic episodes where I give you the general plot information of each of the comics, and then I also talk about connected content as well, either where they fall in the timeline or certain characters, species, planets, events that pop up that have been in other places, those sorts of things. It's kind of like an extended version in some ways of these comics although I don't obviously read out all the dialogue verbatim and everything like that because that would just take me hours and hours and hours so it's kind of like an abridged version of the plot but an extended version of the canon itself But with that in mind, I tackled the first volume of the High Republic Adventures comics in episode 86 of Star Wars Comics in Canon. I tackled the second volume in episode 90, and obviously this is the third volume. But if you're looking for the High Republic comics, which were published by Marvel, I tackled those in episodes 84, 88, and 92 of Star Wars Comics in Canon. If you're listening on YouTube, you can just check out the playlists. There's ones for the High Republic, which is going to be where all these are held. Or if you're listening on a podcast app on the feed of Comics in Motion, you should just be able to type it in. So yeah, make sure you check those out. So timeline-wise, these comics generally take place 230 years before the Battle of Yavin. So these are set before, just like at the cusp of Phase 1, Wave 3 of the High Republic. So these all seem to take place just before the Fallen Star, Mission to Disaster, and Midnight Horizon. There is a part in these comics where a couple of characters split off and go on a mission, and that mission is detailed in Midnight Horizon, which is written by Daniel Jose Older, who also wrote these comics as well. So it is all connected 
But before reading these, I thought they may have somewhat spoiled um, the ending of Fallen Star and things like that, but they don't even touch it, which is quite refreshing, actually. Had I received the last comic earlier, I probably would have done these before I did my Fallen Star book review, which obviously came out, I think, last week. But regardless, I'm trying to get all the High Republic content under my belt. I've only got a few more to do on this channel, I believe. I've got the two book reviews, The Eye of the Storm, The Trail of Shadows, and then The Edge of Balance manga. I think that's all of them that I can think of that aren't like either really, really, really junior novels, you know, the ones that are like 30 pages with stickers, or some of the comic strips within Star Wars Insider. So we are getting there. So these take place just before The Fallen Star, I'd say, so they work quite nicely into that. The third volume of The High Republic Adventures consists of issues 9 to 13 of the comic run, and 13 is the final issue, but there's also a one-shot special, which is the Galactic Bake Off. Now, the Galactic Bake Off, I have read, and I've got it next to me. I may put it at the end. I may not. I'm going to give some of the information of people who are involved with it, but I want to preface that it's not necessarily relevant, and obviously it's a Bake Off competition, but then what happens is there's flashbacks, and the flashbacks go to the Great Disaster, which is what the Light of the Jedi book was all about, and it just shows what a couple of characters were doing when that happened. And although it's a nice story, and I did enjoy reading it, I don't know how much it actually adds to the canon. It's just going to depend on how long it takes me to get through these five main issues as to whether or not I just give you guys like very, very brief information or if I go more in depth. But I want to preface that and warn you at the start that the Galactic Bake Off thing, it's fun. It's worth picking up if you're a hardcore Star Wars fan like I am, but you're not missing out on anything major if you don't read it. So issue number nine of the High Republic Adventures comics was released October 6th, 2021. Issue 13 was released February 23rd, 2022. And the Galactic Bake Off Spectacular one-shot was released January 19th, 2022. And I've looked over the internet and I can't find any confirmation that a trade paperback collection is going to be released. I presume there will be one released because there was one for each of the two prior volumes. And I suspect between now and October, which October is when phase two of the High Republic launches i suspect a lot of the trade paperbacks that haven't released yet or haven't been announced yet are going to be within that time i know star wars celebrations coming up soon as well so that might intertwine with it in some way but i don't know i'm not unfortunately i don't work for lucasfilm or star wars or disney or anyone like that because that would be the dream uh, but at present yeah there's no trade paperback collection so the writer for all of these comics is daniel jose older you've got vita ayala who wrote also on the Galactic Bake Off along with Daniel Jose Older. The colour artist for everything is Rebecca Nalty. The artist for issues 9, 10 and the Galactic Bake Off is Tony Bruno. The artist for issues 11, 12 and 13 is Harvey Tolibau and Pal Wadrick's assisted Harvey on issue 12. And for the Galactic Bake Off, just to clarify, we've got Joe Giong as the artist and also the colour artist. You've also got Rebecca Nolte as the colour artist, and then you've also got Tony Bruno as the artist as well. So it's a nice collaborative effort, along with obviously Daniel Jose Older and Vita Ayala as the authors. So with all of that information out of the way, let's get into the first comic of this batch. So this is issue number nine, and I'm going to read out The Cruel. The Padawans are off on another mission. This time to Takodana to assist the lone Jedi defending the local Jedi temple against the ever-growing threat of the Nile. But Quart has trouble focusing when he comes face to face with his own past amidst new dangers and old allies. There doesn't seem to be a specific story arc that connects all five of these. There seems to be like 
issues 9 and 10 kind of finish off what was set up in issue 8 and then issue 11 is its own thing and then issues 12 and 13 have their own self-contained story in some ways which may be one of the reasons why the trade paperback collection hasn't come out yet because no one can figure out what to call it because it's just an amalgamation of various storylines but with that in mind let's get into the plot so as the crawl stated it starts on takodana which is the place first seen in the force awakens it's where mars kanata's castle is Quite a decent amount of The Force Awakens happens on Takodana, and that's where you meet Mars, so fairly self-explanatory there. So you've got Quart, Lula, Zine, Fasala, and Ram all together. So Quart, Lula, Zine, and Fasala are all introduced in these High Republic Adventures comics, whereas Ram, Jomaram, is from the Race to Crash Point Tower junior novel. I tackled that a little while ago in my, it's in my book reviews section, so if you're on YouTube, you can check out that in a playlist, or just type in Race to Crash Point Tower review comics, and then it will come up. It is a book, but obviously if you type in comics, Comics Emotion will come up in the podcast app if the specific episode doesn't already. And he is one of my favorite Jedi of the High Republic era. The way he perceives the Force and the way that Daniel Jose Older wrote him, I just love it. It's really, really cool. And I love seeing him in these comics interact with other characters of his age more so, as Ram and Lula Talasolo were introduced in Race to Crash Point Tower, and that's how they sort of connected and things. So really like him being in it. Lots of fun. And once again, I always say people need to check out some of these junior novels because they're short, they're easy to read, and they are so much fun. And they're so enjoyable. I was well surprised. I'm genuinely very excited to read Mission to Disaster, which is the next book on my chopping block, which I'm going to order that today because I just got paid. But this issue and the next issue have quite a few flashbacks just to preface it so things don't get too confusing. So after it shows you who, who's going to be on Takodana and things, you then get a flashback. And it shows that there's a couple of cargo transporters who give Maz Kanata a box with something they describe as a terror. She opens it up and there's a baby in there. Baby Quart. So it comes back to present day, and you've got Maz Kanata and Sav Maligan hugging Quart because they haven't seen him in a long time. Now, Sav Maligan, they were introduced in the prior issue of the High Republic Adventures. They are our Kyozo Jedi. I gave a lot of information on the Kyozo back in that other episode, but they are heavily inspired by a character in the Seven Samurai movie, and there's a character called Embo, who is in the Clone Wars and the Aftermath books and a few other places, who is a member of the Kyozo species, but he is a bounty hunter. They are often famed for wearing a shield on their head. It's basically a hat, but it works as a shield. They use it as a sled. They use it as a weapon, all kinds of things. And Sav Maligan also wears this kind of headgear. And she is a badass. So after Maz and Sav hug Quart and things, they then note that there are two Nile there that they claim that they've defected, but Sav Maligan is doubtful of that. But the Jedi don't execute people or anything, so they just kind of take them along with them and keep an eye on them. Now, the two Nile were seen in issue number eight of the High Republic Adventures. They're called the Krill Sisters. One of them is called Bareen, and the other one is called Sabata. Now, Sabata is in the Edge of Balance manga, the second volume of that, as well as the High Republic Annual, and a few more places than Bereen is. Bereen seems to be in a few things that Sabata is, and they both appear in Midnight Horizon, which is the book I referenced before. Both of them are the Urkit species, that's E-R apostrophe K-I-T, and the species are from a planet of the same name. They were first seen in The Phantom Menace. There is a pod racer called Oddy Mandrell. They are generally about 1.6 meters tall. They have elongated skulls. They also have long skinny legs. And although Oddy Mandrell from The Phantom Menace was light blue skinned, and I believe there are some other species that you see in the Clone Wars that were 
Barine and Sabata don't. Barine has more of like a purple and Sabata has more of a red skin color. But the species are also in the Aftermath books, the Star Wars Commander mobile game, and obviously the High Republic. They were in Legends a little bit, but once again, it's that Legends period, which is post-prequels before the canon reset. So there was just under 10 years from when Revenge of the Sith came out before the canon got reset. So a lot of the Legends stuff just comes off the back of The Phantom Menace, and there wasn't anything major that included them. But back to the story, after the group of individuals, including those two Nile, head back to the nearby temple, you get another flashback. The flashback shows that Mars Kanata goes to get some milk for baby Quart, and Quart rips the arm off one of her droids. Now, the droid that he rips the arm off is actually one you also saw in The Force Awakens. You'd have seen it in the trailer, but also in the movie itself. It is a big red load lifter droid that acts as a groundskeeper of Mars's castle. You see Han, Finn, and Rey walk past it when they enter Mars's castle for the first time. And the droid is actually called Hurid 327. That's H-U-R-I-D-327. A little behind-the-scenes thing, interestingly enough, is the droid was played by a stilt walker. Obviously, there was other elements in play. It wasn't just a person on stilts, and they filmed that. But it's quite interesting. That's how the droid moves and things. So when you next watch The Force Awakens, keep an eye out for that. Now, the load lifter droids themselves, they are fairly new. I believe they were first introduced in The Force Awakens. They don't seem to have anything else in Legends. The load lifter droids appear in a Rebels mobile game that's no longer active called Recon Missions, which I'd never heard of. And they also can be seen in Solo, A Star Wars Story, the game Jedi Fallen Order, uh, the first episode of Book of Boba Fett, and then a few books as well. So they are slowly spreading through the canon, but I think they were created specifically for The Force Awakens. So yeah, Quart ripped off the arm of that droid, and then it cuts back to present day. So Zine speaks to the Nile and says, although we are suspect of you, we are going to trust you and allow you to come into the temple and basically walk around with us and whatnot, but we are going to still keep an eye on you. Then when inside, Sav and Mars mention the Battle of Jeddah, which was over a century ago. Now Jeddah is the place that you see in Rogue One. It's the place where the Death Star fires its like testing blast. It's where Saw Gerrera gets killed. And it's known to be one of the first places that the Jedi kind of settled on. But because current canon barely goes back at all in galactic history, because I think Star Wars and the story group and things have big, big plans for that, we don't really know much about Jeddah aside from bits and pieces from visual dictionaries and the odd mention here and there. But because they mentioned the Battle of Jeddah over a century ago, because, you know, Sav Malagan and Mars Kanata are hundreds and hundreds of years old each, I wonder if that's going to be in the High Republic Phase 2, because Phase 2 of the High Republic is set 150 years prior to Phase 1. So I'm very interested by that. I'd love to see a Battle of Jeddah. It's not going to be between Jedi and Sith, because, well, I hope it's not, because it would have been mentioned elsewhere, but it's going to be interesting to see if that comes up. I suspect it will, because Kevin Scott and the other High Republic authors have said that there are little threads that they leave in loads of their content. There's even content they've released that isn't, strictly speaking, High Republic, that they have got mentions of the High Republic in there. In fact, Kevin said in one of the interviews that even in Dooku Jedi Lost, there are still several things in there that are going to relate and going to be very important in the High Republic, but because people have no idea about either phase two or phase three of the high republic no one can connect the dots as of yet so it's gonna be interesting to discover those as time goes on but after this little discussion between sav and mars they show some big pirate guns to the padawans i mean it looks like guns there's also some equipment and things and they're talking about you know defending the temple then another flashback. You've got Maz who finds Quart in a basement and he is wearing like a mask it's like a helmet but it's actually a skull of some sort 
And for any fans of Star Wars Legends, Darth Crate wears a skull helmet thing, basically identical to the one that Quart is wearing. I don't think it's actually the the same object that they both wear, uh, obviously because Legend stuff came out and then High Republic came out far after the canon reset, but it's probably from the same creature, and I wonder if that's like a little nod to each of them, because I think it was in like a Dr. Afro comic I read that there was a skull in there as well, and I think I tackled it on this show, which was a skull found in like an Imperial artifact gallery, and it was essentially either going to be Darth Crates or it was going to be one of Quartz or something, but anyway. So present day, you've got the Jedi Temple, people walking around doing their usual things, and you actually see something that resembles a probe droid. It seems to be hiding out of plain sight and attaching thermal detonators to the walls. It then cuts to show a human and a Toydarian who seem to be monitoring the skies in sort of air traffic control sort of thing, and they notice there's incoming ships on their equipment, and there seem to be quite a lot of them. Now, a Toydarian, I think I've tackled them on the show before, but just in brief, Watto from The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, the individual who owned Shmi Skywalker and also Anakin Skywalker, he's a Toydarian, so you will know who that is. And this Toydarian and human say they think that they're about to be under attack. And then we get yet another flashback. So this flashback is of Mars speaking to a friend of hers called Farks, speaking about young Quart. So I'm just going to read out their exchange because it gives a lot of information onto Aloxians, which are the species of, that Quart is, and I think they're a new species as well into the High Republic and whatnot. So it's just a really interesting part, and rather than me just paraphrasing, I thought it would be better for me to read it. So um, here is an explanation on the Aloxians' history and just information about them. So it starts with Mars saying to Fox, and he hasn't destroyed anything since, but he won't take it off. Anyway, since you brought me the skull all those years ago, I thought you may have some idea of what this is all about, Fox. And so Fox says, hmm, indeed, indeed. The skull is from a Von Dune crab, and this little fella is wearing it because he comes from the planet called Zav Alox, way at the edge of the galaxy. The Aloxians are both incredibly violent and born with immense physical strength. That's how they survive a planet infested by murderous crabs. They send their children out at a very young age to hunt down one of the Von Dunes, an initiation rite that then the child wears the head of their first kill, unless obviously they're killed by the crab. Aloxians believe that the skull fuses to its wearer and conforms to their head. It helps them to balance out their aggressive nature, is the only reason they're not in a constant state of civil war. Eventually, the skull ceases to grow, and then, usually well into adulthood, the Aloxians' naturally expanding head size shatters it. That means they fully become themselves. I suspect our young friend was captured by Argoban raiders. Aloxians bring a high price as child soldiers, unfortunately. They probably took away his skull helmet to enhance his murderous capacity, and well, you can see why he'd be anxious to, oh, and then a little creature seems to be floating by Fox, and Fox turns around and goes, oh my, is he using? And then Miles goes, well, this changes things, let me call Sav. And it shows a little baby quart floating objects around him, obviously using the Force, so that's why Mars wants to contact Sav, who is the Jedi Master, who is a Kyozo. So that's a nice little history lesson of Quart and the Aloxians. There are going to be a few more flashbacks as well, but we now cut back to present day. So Lula Talasola asks Sav why she wears the Kyozo hat. Sav responds and says, well, it's great for protecting me against the sun on the harsh sun of Takodana. It also is really fun to use when I'm sliding down hills, and it is also a great weapon. And in saying that, Sav throws her helmet and it hits Sabata, who is sneaking away in the legs, who then topples to the floor. The Toydarian that I mentioned that was in the control tower then contacts Sav and says that there is a Nile attack coming. Sabata then runs away and detonates a switch. 
And then the final panel of this comic shows the temple exploding. So we then start with issue number 10. So it starts with a flashback and you've got Sav who's with Quart and things. And then after a short period of time, Sav then passes Quart to Yoda, asking Yoda to ensure that Quart can keep the helmet because obviously how much it means to him and his people. And then you watch Sav and Mars wave as Quart leaves with Master Yoda. So that's a nice little wrap up of the origin story of how Quart came to be. And Mars is obviously connection with the light side of the force and the Jedi and her friendships. I genuinely would love to have a series just all about Mars Kanata's life. I don't think we're going to get one, maybe ever, but we might get one if we're lucky. Once the Star Wars canon has gone back by like 1,500 years, then hopefully we'll be able to get like a, a book about Mars. And we already, I know I keep swapping between saying Maz and Mars, so apologies for that. But it'd be so interesting having a book of like the life times of the pirate queen and just seeing her life because she's even older than yoda and obviously she's outlived yoda by well she hasn't actually died yet you know at the end of the rise of skywalker she was still alive so that was already you know 30 odd years longer than yoda and she was already like 150 years older than yoda as it was so she's super old and i would just love to hear her life i think it would be so interesting but we're not going to get that until we get more stuff about the older republican things in the canon so it's not going to be for a while but back to the comic. So it gets to present day. So the Jedi Temple is falling apart after that explosion and Quartz's helmet has broken. He's still holding part of it in front of his face, you know, around the eye holes and covering his face itself, but the back of it has cracked off. The Nile ships start to approach and Quart makes the decision to completely remove his helmet. He uses the force to pull his lightsaber, ignites it, and then says in basic, I am ready. And to clarify, Quart, for the entirety of these comics, has never said anything in basic. He always speaks in a language that you can't understand, because it's all like weird symbols and things. I have it in my head how I think it sounds out loud, but I don't have the capabilities to recreate that for yourself, so you just have to use your imagination. But after saying he is ready, he then stabs a hole into the bottom of a Nile ship that flies overhead, climbs in, and then takes control of the Nile ship. He throws the Nile out, shoots some of the other Nile ships, and then he's jumping out, he crashes his Nile ship into another Nile ship, he lands on another. He's doing some crazy acrobatics that's quite similar to what we saw in issue number 8 by Sav Maligan when she destroys the first batch of Nile that attack. And then Sav and Mars are watching nearby and Sav muses that the kid takes after the weird force-sensitive old lady that found him. And Maz says, which one? And Sav says, both. And they both have a little chuckle about it. Because obviously Maz Kanata is force-sensitive even if she can't actively use the force or at least to our knowledge. Whereas obviously Sav is a legit Jedi master. Maz then receives comms from that toy Darian and he says, do you need some reinforcements? I saw the attack. And she looks over at Quart destroying all these Nile ships and says, no, we won't need any reinforcements, but could you send over just a few medics and maybe some recovery droids and things? And Maz says to Sav, you must be really upset. And Sav is like, no, not really. It's actually kind of done me a favor. It was really hard to keep this Jedi temple heated up. Getting rid of the cobwebs was a nightmare. And yeah, it was just so difficult to deal with. And so Sav says, can I crash at yours, Mars? And Mars obviously says yes, and then makes a little comment about how it's a little bit annoying that nothing ever really seems to bother Sav. So Quart then lands after dealing with all of those Nile attackers and he says, hi my friends, and then they all give him a really big hug, which is a very sweet moment. Meanwhile, it shows that Sabata is with Crix. She fakes her defection, although her sister didn't have the guts to be a Nile, to quote her. Sabata wished that she'd killed her sister and Crix says that the Eye has a plan. So obviously Sabata has now left, gone back with the Nile and this is all part of her plan, but her sister Barine did actually want to defect from the Nile. So that's where comic number 10 ends. So we move on to issue 11. 
This starts with Lula Talasola meditating, but she says that something is wrong. She can't quite tell if it's external or internal, but Zine can sense it. But then it turns out that the great Jedi Rumble race is today. And so they kind of snap out of the meditation that they're both doing with each other, and then they go and head to where the others are, which seems to be on Starlight Beacon. So the Great Jedi Rumble Race, there are no rules, and it just is basically a group of Padawans running around Starlight Beacon, and whoever gets to the finish line first gets some nice cakes that Torben Buck cooked, who's also named Buckets of Blood, who's also the main part of the Galactic Bake Off Spectacular comic. And that spectacular comic is actually set just like between issues 10 and 11. So when I vaguely give you some information about it towards the end, that's kind of going to be where it sits in the timeline. So while you've got all this fun stuff going on on Starlight Beacon with the Jedi and the Padawan and things, it shows you that meanwhile, Crix is on Corellia with Sabata and they are planning something. Crix is concerned about being betrayed and Sabata doesn't really say much and then leaves and goes to a rooftop. Now Corellia, that is where Han Solo is from. There's loads of characters from Corellia. It's one of the core worlds, so it's a very big part of Star Wars, both in Legends and in Canon, but you first saw it on screen in Solo, a Star Wars story. So on this rooftop where Sabata is, she is watching Nuna fighting. Now, Nuna, I think I tackled it fairly recently on Star Wars Comics and Canon because I thought I hadn't, and then I looked up information about them and I was like, oh no, I, I do remember doing this because I specifically remember them being nicknamed as swamp turkeys. But essentially, Nuna is a non-sentient bird. They're about half a meter tall. They're generally found on Naboo and Seleucami. As said, they're also known as swamp turkeys. First saw them in The Phantom Menace. They're also in The Clone Wars and lots of other places, but you primarily see them as food. So normally if you see like a big chicken leg or turkey leg or drumstick, whatever you to call it when you see you know the stereotypical cartoon there's bone coming out of something with a chunk of meat at the end whenever that looks like the leg of an animal it's pretty much always a noona leg because they are basically the space chickens or space turkeys of the star wars universe and obviously watching noona fighting is the same as what today's equivalent of watching cock fighting would be you know two male chickens fighting each other so it can be quite brutal and i know there's a lot of issues with it in modern day so obviously this is and Niall watching it, along with some other people who you could potentially think are miscreants or not necessarily law-abiding citizens. So it cuts back to Starlight Beacon. You've got Cantum Sai who confirms that they and Torben Buck raced when they were Padawans, but the tradition has somewhat faded. Now, Cantum Sai is Lula Talasola's master. However, they are non-binary, so they identify as they. So if at any point I'm referring to Cantum Sai, generally I'll say their name, but if I'm saying they, I want to clarify I'm not referring to a group of individuals. I am just referring to their gender-neutral pronouns, just to clarify. So the race then begins on Starlight, and then we go back to where Sabata is. So Sabata is watching this Nuna fighting, and she's speaking with someone called the Respryla. Now, the Respryla was present at the start of the comic when you had Crix and Sabata plotting on Corellia, and the Respryla does appear in a little bit of other pieces of High Republic content. In fact, they did appear in the High Republic annual I tackled a few weeks back, but they are basically a human. They are a mask. They go by the pseudonym Respryla, and they are the father of finances on Coronet City, which is one the main cities in Corellia. They feature more heavily in Midnight Horizon, and their real name is Nomar Talmat. So Sabata speaks with the Respryla and confirms that Crix must die. Then cuts back to the Padawans racing. There's a lot of juxtaposition in this. You've got the, the storyline of the Nile that's quite dark and depressing and talking about plotting and murder and things, and then you've got the Padawans racing around having fun. It works very well. Kudos to you, Daniel Jose Order, but it may not translate as well me trying to explain it to people. But anyway, so the Padawans are racing around, but Lula is finding it hard to control her emotions. She's thinking a lot inward. She's kind of in her own head quite a lot. 
And then there's a little moment where Ram runs past two of the main characters from the Trail of Shadows, which I quite like. And Trail of Shadows, I will be tackling maybe next week, maybe the week after, over the next few weeks. Because yeah, Trail of Shadows, Eye of the Storm, and the Edge of Balance manga, I think, as well as the book reviews for the last two High Republic books, I think that's all the High Republic content left for me to tackle. And I know that the Trail of Shadows, the last issue of that, which I have read, I wouldn't say spoils the High Republic adventures so much, but it takes place after these comics. So I want to make sure that I tackle the Trail of Shadows after this, because Trail of Shadows takes place sort of as the Fallen Star happens. So it's quite a nice bridge, and some of the characters that feature in these High Republic Adventures comics do pop up in Trail of Shadows. So I didn't want to, you know, tackle Trail of Shadows and then spoil who survives and things. So back to Sabata, who has a plan. She's going to use Zine Morala, and then Crix should then kill Zine in anger. And then after Zine kills Crix, then the other Jedi should then kill Crix for revenge. And it should break down elements of the Jedi, which is what, you know, the Nile are all about. So back to Starlight Beacon. You've got Lula, who is still struggling with her emotions. She's thinking about her anger, her sadness, and most importantly, the fear of losing her friends, the people that she cares about so much. Then Lula, Zine, Ram and a bunch of others, they all decide that as a group they're going to finish together at the same time. So as they're running to the finish line they all kind of huddle together to get ready for it and then Torben Buck stands out right in front of them all and yells out force push and then all of the kids then basically fall to the floor and then Torben Buck runs through the finish line and then is like yay I won, got here guys and everyone's like what? That's not fair and Torben Buck's like well there are no rules and Cantum sighs there going yeah he, he did say there are no rules and then I think Zine is like Oh, I should have seen this coming. So after winning, obviously Torben Buck then starts to eat the cakes that he made. And he's like, oh, I put extra butter in these. So <laughs> it's just quite funny. The humour in these comics is really, really good. I, I really enjoy them. And so then this comic ends going back to the Nile, where we've got Sabata and the Respryla are conspiring. They say that Corellia is a core world, so when Crix is gone, they'll be able to accomplish a great amount of things, especially given the positions that they are, the Respryla having financial strength and political strength in Corellia, while Sabata obviously has the Nile behind her. But that's where issue 11 ends, so we move on to issue number 12. So I just wanted to read out the crawl for this one because, as I said, these stories aren't all continuous one after another, so normally I don't need to read the crawl out for each one, but this one I think does give some weight and explains where we are in the story. So here is the crawl for issue number 12. The Padawans and their masters rush to Corellia, where Nile inductee, Crick's camera, has been planning his next attack. Lula struggles with her new responsibility while Zine grapples with Crick's descent into evil. Both girls worry for each other, but are distracted when they split up and hear a mysterious distress signal. So the issue starts with a very brief flashback. You've got Cantum Sai telling a young Lula that she must learn detachment. She must learn to love and to let go at the same time. Because being a Jedi isn't about not feeling these emotions. It's just not letting the emotions control you. Then back to present day. You've got Lula and Zine who seem to have some feelings for each other. It's unclear how strong they are at the moment, but it goes more into that later. And Lula is asked to lead the task force to go and find Cricks along with Torben Buck. Zine says that she'll probably go to Corellia along with Cantum Sai, Ram Jomaram, and a couple of others. And Lula is like thinking to herself, like these comics especially have a lot of Lula's internal thoughts, and it does add a lot of weight to how she's feeling. I'm going to try and translate that in brief, but once again, really recommend these comics, and it's a really good insight, especially because these are for all ages, and I think there's a lot of older children, maybe young teenagers, that I think could really, really benefit from how much they would connect to the character of Lula Talasola. Like even I connect to her in a lot of ways, even though there's a lot of parts of her character that don't connect with me, I still connect with her in a lot of other ways which once again just goes to show how well she's written 
So Lulu's internal thoughts, she's feeling like she is a disaster. But Cantum Sai says that they are really proud of who Lula has become, and they've always been proud of her. But then an alarm sounds, and one of the Padawan lookouts flying a vector nearby says that they found a Nile ship, and as they go to pursue it, us as a reader get to see that it's Sabata who is flying said ship. So the Jedi get prepared, and they get in their vectors and head out, and so all of the ships then check in. There's quite a lot of different people there, including Zine, and then um, Obratuk as well, and they all head to a place called Dol Ha Hide. Now, Dol Ha Hide, it's not a name I recognised, but as soon as I saw a specific panel, I knew exactly where it was. So Dol Ha Hide has not appeared anywhere else in the canon, apart from in the 2020 Afra run of comics. It shows in issues 7 to 9. I tackled that on episode 71 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. It's like the predecessor to the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff. And it's basically where Afra and Sanastaros go, and then they find this really big tree with lots of Nile ships crashed into it, and they manage to raid one and try and get a path engine. That exact thing is where they go to and the ship's wreckage and things that we see in the afro comics is due to what we get to see in these comics which i think is amazing and i saw online it said that obviously Alyssa wong is the writer of the 2020 run of afro comics and daniel jose older decided that he really wanted to use doll ha hide in the high republic specifically after seeing her just add in those little bits and pieces so obviously there are certain collaborations going on behind the scenes that we are unaware of which are planned out and thought out about little clues and things to the High Republic. But there's other circumstances like this where a non-High Republic author writes something that connects the High Republic and then one of the High Republic authors sees it and decides to use it. So love the collaboration there. So on Dolhar Hyde, the Nile are alerted to the Jedi Vectors or approaching. Crix is wearing the Eyes Old helmet, which he gave to him in the previous volume of comics, and then he asks his fellow Nile where Sabata is. He's told that Sabata said that Crix would know exactly where she was going, and then he says to himself, she wouldn't dare. Then there's this big firefight in the air, which is it's still on the planet, but it, you know it's in the air and things. It looks brilliant. It looks like really, really, really good artwork. Uh, and then I'm not going to bore you with the specific details of what goes on in all of those. If you want to find that out, obviously read the comics. And then it shows that Crix shoots down Zine's ship. She manages to steer the ship and crash it into him and then jump out at the last moment. And then Lula, seeing Zine's crash landing, goes and joins. So she lands her ship down there. And then also Quart and Fasala join them. Crix has run into this building and so the four of them then follow, but it splits into two ways. So two of them go to the left, two of them go to the right. Crix then gets into this safe house, starts typing on a console, and then a hologram of Sabata shows, and it's clearly a recording. It's confirmed that he has been conned by Sabata. She has disabled the locks so he can't lock himself in, got rid of all the food that's there so he couldn't stay there even if he wanted to, but left him with an ultimatum. There's some Rhydonium that is left there that is incredibly explosive, and so she says to him that Crix can die a coward and just be captured by the Jedi and murdered, or he can die as a Nile and blow himself up with all of these Jedi. He just needs to turn on the Rhydonium machine, it will let some Rhydonium out into the air, and then if blaster bolts or any explosions happen, it will blow up the whole place. As Lula and Zine are walking around this place, they are separate, so one's with Quart and one's with Fasala, but they both feel kind of muddled. There's some very good artwork where you get to see what one's doing and then on the other page you get to see what the other one is doing at the same time. So once again, I love the artwork of these High Republic Adventures comics. I really think they are some of the best in the comics that we've seen. And with Zine and Lula kind of feeling muddled in different ways and their emotions are clouding things, they do manage to connect with each other. The four of them then find Crix and they take him down pretty swiftly and it's confirmed that both Lula and Zine have found balance. 
Crix is then saying that he won't talk, and that is where issue number 12 ends. So my friends, we move on to the final issue of the High Republic Adventures Volume 3, which is issue number 13. So it shows that Lula is recalling her master, Cantum Size, saving her on Naboo, and she seems to be like hanging off a cliff and he picks her up. He takes her to the Order to be part of something amazing, something gigantic, and she notes that everything has led up to this moment, which is echoing, I believe, what was said in the first issue of all these High Republic Adventures comics. You've got Lula flying in a ship with Torben Buck, and Torben Buck says that Cantum Sai said that something needs to be discussed with Lula. Lula is worried, thinking that she's a mess, and thinking that they've picked up on the fact that her emotions are a bit awire, and that she's going to get kicked out of the order or something like that. She's really, really worried about it. And so Torben Buck says, Cantum says that you're ready to be knighted. So upon our return to Starlight, if you would like, we can knight you if you're feeling like you are ready to. But Cantum believes that you are. Lula says that she isn't sure, that she doesn't know at the moment, and then it shows the ships getting to the Starhopper. So then the main group have got Cricks there, and then they see some more younglings come along. And they speak to the younglings and then say, well, we need to get this prisoner back to the cell, but we'll see you lot in a bit. But then Quart meets another little Aloxian, and they hug each other after a small exchange speaking in their own language. And this little Aloxian is so short, but this Aloxian is also wearing a Voloon crab skull as well. And at this point, Quart is no longer wearing the skull, so you get to see his full face and things. And it's just a really beautiful moment. While this is going on, you've got Zine who is speaking with Crix in a cell. He says that she can't stop what's already in motion, and she says that she'll just use the force to extract the information from his head, and mentions that anything she pulls out is trash. It then shows that Fasala sees Court and this little Loxian who's called Zint, and he walks up and is like, Court, what are you? And then sees them both sat there cross-legged and making something levitate, and Fasala just goes, oh, and then sits down next to them and assists, which, once again, just a nice little moment. So Lula is watching Crix and Zine on like a holocom thing while Zine is interrogating Crix, and Lula thinks of her and Zine together, as in what they've been through. It shows some flashbacks from the comics, it also shows a flashback from what happened at the Valor Republic Fair, which you get details of in Race to Crash Point Tower and somewhat The Rising Storm. And it shows that Lula is clearly feeling some very, very strong feelings that she needs to confront. While Zine is interrogating Crix, he lets slip the moon, which is called Gus Talon, which is part of the Corellian system, which the details of that relate to something that happens in Midnight Horizon, which obviously I'll be doing a book review probably in a few months' time once I've actually read it, because I'm going to read Mission to Disaster first. So then there's just some dialogue between Zine and Crix, mainly Zine saying things to Crix, that once again, I just think it works really well, and so I'm going to read it out to yourselves. So as Crix lets out the moon of Gus Talon, he looks immediately concerned, and Zine just stares at him. And then she says, You said something to me once. I could just stop using the force, and it would go away, and we could be normal. But I'm so, so glad I found people who love me for who I am, and not some version of myself that had to be lesser to make them uncomfortable. And Crix says, I always love... And then Zine cuts him off and says, Keep it. You're not my problem. You're just some kid I once knew. You and I have nothing to do with each other. And he starts to yell and she leaves the cell and the door slams behind her. And Lula is standing outside and she grabs Lula and they just hold each other for a moment. They then start running down the corridor together and confirm they need to warn the others because where Cantum Sai has gone and some of the other Jedi and Padawans is to Corellia to check out some sort of disturbance. They have like a mission there but they don't really know what's actually going on over there. There was like a distress signal that sent them over there. So... Zine says, I need to go and help them. So Zine starts to prepare a ship to go off to Gus Talon, you know, in the Krellian system. 
Lula's then thinking to herself and she's thinking all these emotions for Zine are like bubbling over her and she just needs to get them out and say something. So she says to Zine that she needs her and Zine says that she needs Lula too. And then there's a really nice panel where they just hold each other very, very closely for just a while. They then let go of each other and Zine is in her ship and Lula thinks to herself that she's happy that she told Zine. She thought that saying it would shatter her, but instead it just made her feel so much lighter, so much full of life. And she doesn't know what's going to happen next, but she's not afraid and she knows what she has to do. So Zine flies off to go into the book Midnight Horizon and then it shows Fasala and Quart who are still playing with the young Aloxian Zint and Fasala just tells Quart that he's learned so much from him and so much from being friends with him and he just basically wants to say thank you for that and he's just so happy that they've got each other's backs. So it's just... Uh, this this issue just makes me feel so happy. It's just so nice and so pleasant. I mean, I love the High Republic, don't get me wrong, but all of the endings for pretty much all of the High Republic stuff so far has just been really depressing. Well, not really depressing, but there's been like horrible things happen to people, people being killed and murdered. And then there's like light at the end of the tunnel that not everyone has died and not everyone has suffered a tragedy, but or we've mitigated some of the damage. You know, it's kind of this, yeah, something horrible happened, but at least not this. Whereas at least at the end of these comics, it's just really heartwarming and nice and just lovely. So Torben Buck and Obra Tuck then ask Fasala and Quart to get into their formal attire and then meet them on the bridge. So then the final panels of this comic and this kind of batch shows that Lula approaches all of them after they're in their formal attire and things and Lula confirms that she doesn't yet want to commit to the Jedi Order until she works out her feelings. So she hasn't decided if she wants to fully commit and become a full Jedi or if there's other elements at play. And Fasala's a bit like, oh, well, you seem to have been waiting your whole life to be knighted, this is a surprise. And Lula's like, yeah, you're right, but I am happy. And I can wait a little bit longer. I mean, Zine's heading towards Corellia to warn the Jedi that the Nile are planning something. And Lula comments that she has to make sense of some of her feelings for her. And in Lula's internal monologues and things, she thinks that maybe she shouldn't have said, I need you. She potentially should have said that she loved her, which is what Lula actually wanted to say. She wanted to tell Zine Morala, I love you. But then she thinks to herself, but I'm not even sure I know what love is. Which is quite a mature thing to think, you know, as a, especially as a young person, you get wrapped up in love or you get wrapped up in lust or feelings for someone and then you immediately jump to, I think I'm completely in love with them. And then when you become an adult, it's like, no, I, I wasn't in love with that person. And then when you've ex truly experienced love, then you kind of know more so what it is. But once again, really mature themes put in a very easy to understand way for all ages, which is one of the reasons I, I love these High Republic Adventures comics. Lula finishes off her thoughts by saying that she's at peace with her trying to work out her feelings with Zine. And Vasala and Quartz say, then so are we, Lula. We've basically got your back. And then the final panels of this show, the Torben Buck and Obratuck cut off the Padawan braids of Quartz and Vasala and name them Knights of the Republic. And the final panel is all of the Jedi and Padawans in the area, lifting up their lightsabers ignited, yelling for light and for life. And that's where this ends. So before I confirm what's coming up, let me just delve very briefly into the Galactic Bake Off Spectacular. Now, I wasn't expecting much when I picked up this issue. I just wanted to get all High Republic issues, and it was actually a lot of fun. I mean, part of the reason I got it was kind of for Megan as well to read because she loves the Great British Bake Off, and I know a lot of people across the world enjoy that show. I think it's fun. 
it's good. I wouldn't choose to watch every single episode all the time, but it's one of Megan's great passions, so that is what we do. And so I just thought this would be quite a fun comic as well. And I know that a lot of Americans really enjoy The Great British Bake Off as well, so it's just a fun comic to pick up. So in this comic, you've got two stories going on. You've got the flashbacks and the current time. And the current time is Torben Buck and Cantum Sai trying to prepare a recipe by Yoda. Now, the recipe is for sweet story custard cakes. And Claudia Gray graciously has included in the back of this comic all of the ingredients, how you actually cook it. So it's a full-on recipe onto how to make this dessert. So me and Megan are 100% going to do that at some point. And obviously, although this ingredient list is by Claudia Gray, the actual comic itself is written by Daniel Jose Older and Vita Ayala. And in Yoda's recipe, it specifically says that you must tell a story as you work to infuse the tart with energy and empathy. It must last at minimum for the entire time of preparation. Ideally, the story will be one of the time where you grew in the force, where you learned something new about what you were capable of, and or one of cooperation and trust between yourself and someone else. There must be an audience of at least one person, and they must be there to hear it. The point is connection and empathy, which is generated between the teller and the listener. You must believe the story to be true. Otherwise, the tarts will spoil. So I think that's just really nice and fun, but obviously with that it means that Torben Buck and Cantum Sai have to tell a story. And the story they tell is what they were doing at the time of the Great Disaster, which is the event of Light of the Jedi. Now the High Republic Adventures comics take place just after that, and they finish just before the Fallen Star. Whereas Light of the Jedi, there's loads of characters introduced into that, and even I think the High Republic comics as well, the Marvel ones written by Kevin Scott. The first issue takes place, I think, just before but then the second issue takes place just after light of the jedi so it is interesting finding out what torpen buck and cantum Sai were actually doing at the time but in short the nile damaged a ship that was moving in hyperspace so then shards of it were flinging off in lots of directions and causing havoc because something moving faster than light speed hitting anything will cause a great deal of damage if not just decimating it completely so one of these emergencies occurred, it damaged a ship that had lots of elderly Jedi on it. It was like a retirement place for Jedi to go that were really old, that can't really help in the Order anymore, but obviously still want to live and do things, which is a really cool idea. I really like that, really. I'd like to hear some more stories about that. And so Torbenbuck and Cantum Sai nearby, and they've got some ships as well to assist them. But Torbenbuck is there separate to Cantum Sai. He's on a medical vessel. He's because he's like a medic, but he doesn't do force healing. But he uses the force, and he can pinpoint exactly what's wrong with someone like immediately, and then administer the relative bacter or medicine or whatever or treatment to help them heal much much quicker. Which is a really cool power. That's a I would love for someone to actually have that power in real life. But He's doing that, and then they get a calm. Basically, Cantum Sai has gone off to do this thing. He needs a bit of help. So you've got these two stories kind of running parallel within the flashback of Torben Buck doing one thing, Cantum Sai doing another, and then they come up, you know, right at the end, connected. Cantum Sai is trying to help all of the elderly Jedi leave and get onto the vessels that allow them to escape, but there's like a timer ticking down because there's other things coming out of the emergence, there's shards of things coming out which are damaging the ship that they're currently on, and the crew are concerned that they're not going to get out in time. Meanwhile, Torben Buck is trying to help clear some of the debris in space that's causing some of the problems, so he puts on a spacesuit and goes out there and uses the force to move bits and pieces just so there is a clear way for the vessel that's transporting the people off the ship to get clear. So that goes on and there is some cool interactions, there's a few lines of dialogue that's really nice, and in amidst every few pages or so, it cuts back to present day where there's a crowd that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger around Torben Buck and Cantum Sai retelling the story, and everyone's getting more and more excited, and they're like, 
and Torben Buck's saying things like, okay, now we need to take the cake out of the oven and do this. And everyone's like, we don't care. Just tell us the story. And you've got Porter Engel, who's there, who's a really cool character, who I know Charles Saul really likes, and he's doing a miniseries on the Blade of Bardota, I think his name is, in the books, like as his nickname. And he's basically like a retired, he's like a super warrior, but he's retired and all he wants to do is cook anymore, uh, unless, you know, the galaxy needs him in essence. So he's there as well, helping them. He's sorting out the eggs and things. And it's just this growing crowd of Padawans and Jedi alike who are getting really intrigued by the story. And so he keeps going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. And the ending is basically that Torben Buck, he's doing things that he really doesn't want to do. He puts on a spacesuit and goes outside, which is where he's really, really not comfortable being, you know, out to space with a spacesuit on where anything can hit you and anything can go wrong. While Cantum Sai is helping a lot of old people. And there's one old person that's missing. And so the crew who are evacuating people wants to leave. But Cantum Sai goes back in there to try and find this person. And it seems like this person is the same species as Yoda and Yaddle and Grogu. Not fully sure if they are, but they seem to be. And because they're so old, they're panicking and worried about what's going on. And Cantum Sai helps kind of bring them down and calm them and helps them escape. But where the ship leaves with the evacuated crew, Cantum Sai tries to get his own way and he manages to basically be helped by Torben Buck, who's in the spacesuit, who opens up an alternate entrance and gets them all to safety. And that was Cantum Sai and Torben Buck learning and connecting with each other through the force. And although they were doing two different things, they're on, they describe it as two sides of the same coin. And because of both of their actions, it meant that everyone could survive. And it's just a really nice story about cooperation, which obviously is what the ingredient list says that you need to tell. And yeah, it was just a fun story. It was something I thought I'd read and wouldn't be that enthralled by. But finding out what two masters did during the Great Disaster, that's a really cool concept. I really liked that. So if you want more information on that and you want to pick that up, you know, make sure you do that. It is a one-shot by IDW Publishing and it is worth the read. But that, my friends, brings an end to the comic portion of this episode. So, you know, thank you, as always, for listening. Make sure you check out a lot of the other episodes and things. If you're on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. If you're not listening on YouTube, go over to my YouTube channel, please, and subscribe so we can get through to 100 subscribers so I can change the channel link name. But also, it's a great place to check out other styles, comics, and canon episodes because everything's in playlists. There's one for Darth Vader, so it's every episode of Darth Vader I've done. So there's loads of Vader comics. You know, there's the main run of Vader comics, but there's also some miniseries and things. I've done ones for The High Republic, for Doctor to Afra for the War of the Bounty Hunters big crossover event. I'm going to be doing more for Crimson Dawn. I'm going to be doing more for the Crimson Rain series as well. There's just loads of places there. And also, just everything is in nice little playlists. So it's a really good way to find out where to go from here if this is one of the first episodes of Comics and Canon that you've been listening to and you didn't just want to start from episode one, which obviously you are welcome to do. On my YouTube channel as well, there are all my episodes of Genuine Chit Chat. Some of them, or most of them, don't have video, but a few of them do have video. There's a playlist for ones specifically that do have video. And recently, I spoke to Kevin Scott, who is obviously one of the High Republic architects. That conversation has video. I also spoke with Paola Villanelli, who is a comic book artist who does the Bounty Hunters comics and also did one issue of Vader Dark Visions. I think he did Lando Double or Nothing. And that has video as well. That's a really, really good conversation there. And then in December 2020, I spoke with Claudia Gray before the High Republic launched, and we spoke about her other books, as well as her, at that point, upcoming book, Into the Dark, which is the first young adult novel in the High Republic. And so if you want to hear some more High republic stuff, you've listened to all of my book reviews and listened to all of the comics, then you can listen to some of the interviews I've had with individuals involved with creating Star Wars, which is really, really cool. 
In addition to that, obviously, you can subscribe to my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chits chat. For as little as £1 a month, you get access to at least one episode of our Afterthoughts every single week. There's an episode that me and Megan did, which is 40 minutes long, talking about our trip to Malta we went on recently. I recently went and watched the film The Northman, and I did a special episode where I reviewed that with my friend Alex, who's been on Genuine Chit Chat before. Uh, we've also watched a few other movies recently. We're doing a big Tom Hanks rewatch, uh, so we're watching all the Tom Hanks movies, and we've actually released one of those for free. So if you want to dip your toes into my patreon pool and you want to find out what kind of things you can expect if you click the link in the description which is bit.ly slash tom hanks one you can listen to our first episode on the tom hanks watch where we watched big which megan had never seen before and since then we've done the burbs the league of their own turner and hooch joe versus the volcano sleepless in seattle we got philadelphia next and then after that is forrest gump which is one of mine and megan's favorite ever films so you know if you want to support the show help my comic book addiction and my obviously help afford all these books and high republic comics etc that i am reading and you also want to get hours of additional content with a link that you can just pop into any podcast app or you can listen through the patreon app or anything like that please consider checking out my patreon page there's a whole bunch of you and i appreciate each and every one of you who are already patron supporters it means the absolute world to me but obviously the more the merrier and the more time i can invest into patreon content and also into other podcasty things the more people who subscribe but at the moment i'm releasing at least one episode of afterthoughts every week so what we've got coming up well i haven't actually figured out what i'm doing next week normally before 2022 i had a big plan of like you know every week would be this and that and then when i finished war of the bounty hunters it kind of just fell into more so trying to focus on the series that were already ongoing that I could finish and now I'm more or less at an impasse so I want to try and get through a lot of the High Republic content. I've got two volumes of the Poe Dameron comics to finish and then I've got the Trail of Shadows miniseries, the two Eye of the Storm comics about Markeon Rowe, the manga Edge of Balance, Volume 1 and Volume 2. I think Volume 2 is getting delivered to me in the next few weeks. And I'm probably going to do them both in one episode because I read Volume 1 and it's probably the equivalent of like two, maybe three comics. So I think it'll work quite well to do the, the two of them together in one episode. And then obviously I've got the book reviews for Mission to Disaster and Midnight Horizon to do. And then I've got the Crimson Rain comics to do as well, which is the ongoing crossovers between the 2020 runs of Darth Vader, Bounty Hunters, Doctor Aphra and Star Wars, as well as the Crimson Rain miniseries in itself. So I'm probably going to do something that's not dissimilar to what I did with the War of the Bounty Hunters comics, except to my knowledge there are no companion comics about one-off bounty hunters, so that makes it a smidge easier per episode. And in addition to that, we've got the Han Solo and Chewbacca series that's just started. We've got the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that has just started, as in the, the comics, not the, not the live action series. So those will be things I'll be tackling down the line, but they're the general things you can expect over the coming weeks realistically it just depends how busy i am in each week as to what i will do but because i haven't even read or i don't even own midnight horizon or mission to disaster as of yet the the book reviews for those won't be out for at least another month or at least mission to disaster because that's the first one i'm reading won't be out for at least a month so that's just a general idea of what i've got going on there but in addition to that, I am going to be doing a weekly Kenobi show, much like I did with the Book of Boba Fett and like we did on Comics in Motion in The Mandalorian. So there should be six episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think the first two episodes are dropping on the Friday. I think it's May 25th off the top of my head. So I believe I'm probably just going to do an episode of that just with me and Megan, uh, just because on a Friday we've got like a busy weekend ahead of us and things. So I won't be able to organize having someone else on the show, I don't think. So it's probably just going to be me and Megan on that one. And then after that, each week I will have 
an array of guests joining me much like I did on the book of Boba Fett so make sure you subscribe to Comics in Motion anywhere that you listen to podcasts or subscribe to my YouTube channel because they will be uploaded on there as well and if you want to check out the book of Boba Fett discussion show or anything like that they are also all in playlists on YouTube But my friends, that is going to be it from me. Thank you so much for listening. As always, please review on Good Pods and Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Share with your friends on social media. Follow me at Genuine Chit Chat. Tell everyone you've ever met who likes Star Wars about this show and get them to listen because you don't have to have read a comic in your life to enjoy this show. But obviously you already know that because you're listening right to the very end. So thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate all of you. And as always, may the force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.